And there we go. We are back again for another fantastic conversation this week on Friday Night Counter-Attack. And Salem, it's been a fantastic week to watch football. It's probably one been one of the best World Cup weeks I've ever experienced in the last seven days. And it's the first day off we've had in a while of watching World Cup football. How's it been for you this week? And how have you been this week? Because I've been all over the place. I've been losing my voice. I've been energetic about some wins, some penalty defeats, some wins. It's been insane. And England versus France this Saturday as well. So, um, yeah, looking forward to this weekend, Salim. How you been? How you been? Yeah, good, thanks. I've uh, been decent. I've been, you know, back in the gym, back playing football and stuff. So it's been good. Uh, in terms of World Cup, I've been following games and watching games both. The one thing I was going to say that I've been talking about to a lot of people that, you know, we've got to sort of like the business end of the tournament now. So at the start, you know, and it's like group games, the first game, second game, everyone's, you know, having fun. We're all at the, you know, four games a day, you know, literally 10 o'clock and I get into work for nine and there's a team sheet ready for me. So there'd be a 10, a one, a four and a seven, four games, which was amazing. You know, the two weeks that we had four games a day and then next thing you know, like, it's all become serious all of a sudden, you know, that third group game, everyone wants to qualify. Um, a lot of groups had swings, you know, every team could have been qualified or even out at some point. And yeah, now, you know, round of 16 and, you know, you lose in your home all of a sudden, like it's all like the World Cup, you know, it's the business end and it's, it's, it's getting to that point where it's a bit scary now. It's not like before um, at the start, you know, fresh new tournament, waited four years for it. Now it's become a bit more, like, you know, serious, you lose, you're going home. It's quite simple, knockout football, you know, losing on penalties, the heartbreak and the pressure and waiting now like another four years for the next one. But yeah, you know, we're getting closer to the to the end, to the final and getting a winner and then hopefully get back to the Premier League and, you know, watching Villa. That's that's the main thing. That's not the main thing. I'm enjoying watching this World Cup, Salim. I can't lie. I don't care about Man United playing pre-season friendlies. I don't care about what Ericsson Hart's got planned. I'm enjoying this moment of the World Cup of happen- happening right now in front of our eyes. I've I've loved the fact that we've had this World Cup in the winter. Um, I've really enjoyed the fact that you got to experience it from a different perspective as well, which has been great. Um, you're seeing different teams win and lose and draw, and you're seeing the the different sides of the World Cup, which is in- which is insane and fantastic to really see. The Morocco win really springs to mind of how they recently beat Spain on penalties and Spanish players, Rodri, for example, was quite angry and upset about the fact that they lost in a certain way, but Spain only played a certain way this whole tournament. But I was really happy to see Morocco win. I was really sad to see um, Japan lose against Croatia and Croatia are now through against um, Brazil in the quarterfinals. So for everyone listening, we are going to be talking more about the quarterfinals because at the time of speaking, we don't know who's going to be in the semifinals. So we're not going to predict anything that hasn't happened yet. Um, in terms of draws, but we are going to predict what's actually going to happen and what's actually been drawn as well. So we're going to go in order, Salim. Straight off the bat, quarterfinal talk. Let's hear it. Croatia versus Brazil, first up as well. So Croatia with their age in midfield with the excellent Luka Modric and probably his last World Cup tournament um, that we will see. They got through that Japan game, literally, I think, just by sheer experience and almost control of the game. Japan missed so many different chances that I thought they could have buried and really ruined my prediction for actually seeing Japan in the quarterfinals of the World Cup. But how do you think Croatia will do against Brazil before we go on to the attack and flair that Brazil have to offer, Salah? How do you think Croatia will do? I mean, there's there's no doubt in um, Brazil's quality, you know, going forward especially, but I feel like um, they're knocked out. Uh, it was career, right? Yeah, I feel like they were really naive tactically. I felt like they were really open, and I feel like they could have been a bit more defensive and you know sort of grown into the game instead of trying to go for it the way they did. But you know that that's it. You know, it's just 
you know, you lose your out. It's as simple as that. Now, I feel like Croatia, you say, like, they are an ageing team, but they do seem to know how to play against other teams. Importantly, like, they can get results out there. So, I mean, it's been a tournament of upsets and, you know, shocks are happening everywhere. But, I don't know, I just still feel like it's going to be a Brazil win. Yeah, absolutely. I was reading what the manager said for Croatia, uh, Zlatko Dalic. He was literally saying that Brazil are definitely the favourites. You have to face it and the most powerful and the best national team at the World Cup. And I definitely think they're still my favourites um, from what I've said previously as well. And they have a terrifying attack. Whatever way you're looking at it, they have a really good attack in terms of what you're looking at um, going through Brazil. Gabriel Jesus recently got injured, so he's been set back to Arsenal um, for recovery as well. You're kind of looking at how they are in midfield at the same time. Fabinho's barely being used as well. You're looking at Casemiro just playing through games, quality player that he is um, at the same time. That's where I think, honestly, I honestly think that's where Croatia can take the game to Brazil in the midfield. You're going to have to see Modric versus Casemiro, um, former Real Madrid teammates as well. I think that's going to be a very big battle. Kovacic and Brozovic will have to do a job and turn up as well. Ivan Perisic has um, made it to, like, I think, joint all-time scorer in major yeah. tournaments for Croatia, which is ridiculous to see. He's been a fantastic player and a fantastic servant for Croatia. Yeah. But I really agree with you there as well. I think with Brazil's tactical lineup that they have in their 4-3-3, Neymar coming back into it, how they just open up that Korean side in that first half especially was a joy to watch, really. I don't care what some of these pundits say about them dancing. People have been dancing since the beginning yeah. of football. So why would you want to ruin it now in 2022? <laughs> People want to complain for the sake of complaining. So um, that's kind of how I've seen it. But I'm really looking forward to seeing how Brazil do against this Croatia side. And respectively, I would say this is probably the easiest of decisions to make when I predict Brazil will win um, against Croatia um, in this quarterfinal game as well. My big one where I think there will be a slip up is Netherlands versus Argentina. That's happening later on Friday, Salem as well. So Netherlands have played really well this tournament. They are um, doing fantastically well so far. They're in some great form. I think they're one of the most, yeah, literally most, most informed teams of the tournament so far as well. How do you see Netherlands facing up against this Lionel Messi-inspired Argentina side? Because I think there's a few different ways that Netherlands could actually kind of stop the supply to Messi as well. So I'm looking forward to seeing um, how they do that. But what's your first initial thoughts to Van Dijk versus Lionel Messi, I should say? No, I feel like it's going to be an Argentina win, you know, as much as there are upsets. I just feel like Argentina are going to get there. I mean, I think if they win and Brazil win, they play Brazil in the semi-final, right? So I feel, I feel like that that's a tie that I really want to watch and I feel like it can happen. But then looking back, you know, Argentina did beat Brazil in the Copa America final. But to be honest, Brazil look a lot better since then. Um, but yeah, no, I, I feel like Argentina have been, I mean, Holland have been decent and, you know, grown into the tournament, but... No, I can't look past Argentina, especially with Emmy Martinez. Like when you look at his record for Argentina as a goalkeeper and his clean sheets and you know the amount of games is one lost for them as well. I, I just feel like defensively, if they can get it right, I feel like Lissandro needs to play. I feel like he he, he added a lot of steel to that defense. I feel like he needs to play, and I, I feel like if they get it right, you know. I can see them going to the final, really. I mean, you're looking at Lissandro Martinez, but uh, you're looking at Lissandro Martinez. And you're looking at how well he did in that Australia game after coming on as a substitute as well. That last-minute challenge he made on the Australian play to avoid it going to 2-2 in extra time. And that Emmy save, save as well at the end, you know. I mean, that, those two key bits. Those no, key bits he, he, as well, because it was all about Messi that day as well. Albeit so, he, he deserved it. But Martinez and Martinez actually mm -hmm. saved Argentina from 
potentially quite a big embarrassment and, and quite a big banana peel as well. So it's the fact that you're yeah. looking at um, Argentina and you're looking at how they can kind of go about. I think this is where they'll get their biggest test so far in the tournament as well. I think Brazil, that would be the dream semi-final, Argentina versus Brazil. But I have a sneaky feeling Netherlands will actually come through in this game. And I'll tell you why. So basically, when you're remembering back to when Lou van Gaal um, managed Netherlands against Argentina, he took them all the way to a penalty shootout when they were the clear favourites in that game. Yeah. If I remember correctly as well, he had Nigel de Jong actually like man-marking Messi the whole game. He's now a pundit for ITV um, at this World Cup. And he's literally gone on to say that this is a team that he can... Uh, Louis van Gaal has said this is a team that I think that we can compete against and we can win against as well. And Louis van Gaal is no mug. As, as a manager, he is no mug. He's tactically astute in what he can do as well. But if I was to look at this front line from Netherlands, if you're looking at, uh, looking at the likes of Memphis Depay, Cody Gakpo and Steven Bergwijn against the likes of Otto Mendy and Romero, if Martinez doesn't start, that's the backline that I think can be exposed. If you're looking at someone who, if you're looking at someone like Molina and Acuna, they are good. They are sound wingers, but they're not as experienced. I think the likes of Depay and Bergwijn especially can actually take them apart if you're separating them as well. So tactically, I think there are definitely ways that Netherlands can actually beat this Argentina side. And my biggest thing, and this is this is just my biggest thing as well, if you're looking at the height difference as well, like Luke de Jong, if you're going to have him as a substitute and you've got Martinez coming up, there's Andre Martinez coming on as a substitute as well. As a Man United fan, that has been something that we have been dealing with, uh, a smaller centre-back who doesn't always win his tackles. I remember seeing him against Real Sociedad and um, Sorloff was someone who took advantage of his height. He looked at Brentford, Ivan Tony. Um, making a, making an advantage over Lisandro Martinez's height as well, and that's kind of how I'm looking at it right now as well. But my main man to look forward to in this game personally is Frankie De Jong. Frankie De Jong will have to play the game of his life against Argentina to keep the ball away from their midfield to, to stop to yeah. stop the supply of Lionel Messi as well. He hasn't really turned up in this tournament. He played quite well against the USA, but I expected more from him against Qatar against Senegal. Um, and in the group stages as well. But realistically speaking, if he is going to be starting in this team, Frankie de Jong has to be the main man in the midfield to dominate midfield. You're seeing Amrabat dominate Gavi, Pedri and Busquets. You're looking at um, Luka Modric kind of dominating midfield like he has done year in, year out and tournament in, tournament out. Frankie de Jong has to turn up on the international stage. And I think this is a now or never for him um, against this fantastic looking Argentina side inspired by Lionel Messi. Argentina haven't been the best so far as we've kind of seen. But when you've got the greatest player of all time, arguably, in Lionel Messi, I don't see how you can rule them out. And that's why I see Argentina as clear favourites. But I do have that sneaky feeling that Netherlands and Louis van Gaal will bring, bring on a surprise as well. Um, that's the thing. Like, as good as Messi is, you know, this, you know, go whatever, yeah. I, I still feel like more needs to come from certain Argentina players. Like, I still feel like Di Maria could do more. I feel like Dybala can do more. I think Lautaro can do more. Dybala's yeah, I mean, not played. Di Maria's been injured. Lautaro is the one that missed all the kind of chances as well. Papi Gomez was one that didn't. That's what I mean. But I, know, I know Dybala's been on the bench. You know, I think Di Maria's played a bit as well. But mm. no, I, I just I just want more from them guys. I feel like if, if they can bring more, you know, it, it'll give Messi an even better platform to flourish. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's like if you look at Man City, for example, not that it's a direct comparison, but they've got so many match winners and amazing players that like anyone can pop up. But it's... 
it's like when we had Grealish that year and we were just relying on him to pull everything out of the bag. You know, it's, I mean, we had a decent team, but it's hard, you know, it's just one guy because it's easier to mark that one person, double up. If, if goals are coming from elsewhere, like I feel like um, Alvarez has done really well in that sense in terms of stepping up. But yeah, if, if all the other players could just give that little bit more attacking and defensively, you know, it, it ease a burden on Messi and it sort of reduce the pressure and even give him, you know, a better p- a platform to flourish. My question to you before we move on to the next game, Lionel Messi, where do you see him ranking in this World Cup if he gets through this this game against the Netherlands? Do you think that's going to be his greatest performance? Because we saw him play amazing against Australia, but this is definitely the biggest team that um, Argentina are facing. Is this going to be literally the, the lifetime that we're looking at Lionel Messi and thinking, you know what, this is his biggest ever performance coming up against the Netherlands? No, I wouldn't say. I'd say like you've, you've seen in his career the sort of games he's won you know, single-handedly and sort of goals he scored, you know, he passes the eye test as well. It's not just goals and assists when it comes to Messi and mm-hmm. he's, he's thrived on big occasion, you know, top scoring, classicals is one of them, you know, and his goals, the speak, you know, 91 goals in a season, in a calendar year, sorry, you know, it speaks for him, speaks for itself, his numbers. So I wouldn't say it's the biggest achievement of his career. Like he got to the final last time as well. Um, I'd say if he was to win the World Cup, it, you know, it'd add to his, you know, amazing achievements. And if he doesn't win it, he, he doesn't win it. You know, it's, it's as simple as that. Individually, you know, he's got the Ballon d'Ors. It's the same with uh, Cristiano as well. Like, if, even if he doesn't win this World Cup, it, it doesn't mean like he's not part of that, you know, that adult ca- category. You know, there's only two players in that category anyway, but it doesn't make him any less of a player. You know, the sort yeah. of career that both of them have had. So, yeah, no, I'd, it, it'd be amazing for, you know, I'd, I'd love an Argentina Portugal final if England weren't to win it that is obviously England's my first choice you know goes without saying but if that wasn't to happen I'd, that's the game I'd won Argentina Portugal the whole world watching you know the two greatest players ever it, well that's if Ronaldo even starts now that's the other problem with him being benched and his replacement doing way better but you know this, that's that's just football for you Definitely. Um, we actually, you know what? Yeah, we'll change the subject. I know uh, my friend Dan's going to be joining us later on to talk about England and Gareth Southgate. So we'll wait for him. And we will talk about Cristiano Ronaldo as well. How did you see it being dropped um, from the Portugal side? Because obviously before the game, before the 6-1 win, everyone was kind of like, okay, what the hell has he kind of done? And I was kind of just there saying, well, he's done this for Juventus, he's done this for uh, Manchester United, and he's done this now for Portugal. So it kind of goes to show that when you're kind of being subbed off um, for your team and you're not liking it as well he yeah. knows that the fans are going to be onside but the manager's offside as well and it's not really been the best of um, responses from him in my opinion I know everyone's saying oh yeah he came on he clapped he walked off the pitch it's absolutely fine we saw that but you're kind of looking at it now for Cristiano Ronaldo and you're kind of looking at him um, as a squad player now for Portugal he's done amazing work for Portugal over the years he's made Portugal one of the biggest European teams of the modern era in my opinion obviously winning the Euros and Nations League, doing fantastically well, having an array of talent. But there was one play that caught your eye yesterday as well, not just because of his Aston Villa leagues, but um, we'll talk about him in a bit. But what, what are your thoughts on the whole Ronaldo situation being dropped? And do you think it's better, beneficial for Portugal? Do you reckon they'll stick with that against Morocco? What do you think, Sada? I think they'll have to after the performance. I feel like the thing with Cristiano as well, like I know he soaks when he soaks, he gets subbed off and stuff, but it just shows you, you know, the amount of, like determination and you know ambition to succeed that there is in like you know the sort of standards he sets against himself I, I don't think it's more of a I don't think it's like frustration like oh I don't care about the club kind of thing or the nation it's, it's more like 
annoyed in himself, like, you know, I, I should have done more, I should have done this more. And, you know, when you've been a player that's had, you know, that's been up there, you know, right at the top, top of your game, and now, like, you're, you're trying to get back, you know, even achieve near those levels, it's obviously going to hurt. And, you know, it's hurting him personally, in my opinion, for someone that's been that good for such a long period of time. It's not like he had three good seasons, four good seasons, you know, you're talking about 20, 20 season player here. You know, there's you don't get that in football and the kind of numbers and, you know, physical attributes he's still got. So I just feel it's more like the levels he's put on himself. I feel like, you know, Portugal probably will have to keep him out of the squad. Um, I mean, the 11. But the thing is with him, like, you know, you bring him on and he's a goal threat. It's the same with Messi, you know, having somebody like that on the bench just fears the opposition because they know that he's going to come on at some point and, you know, he could completely, you know, they could be losing 3-0 and bring him on and he'd get a hat-trick. He's that kind of player. I, I don't think he's finished. I still think he can play in the Premier League and the Champions League. I just feel like he might need to, he just needs to do less, in my opinion. I think he just needs to try and stay in the box as much as possible. That's all he needs to do, because he could just be an out-and-out striker. And he could do that, that number nine role, easily. Yeah, I agree with you. I said that when he first came into Man United the second time around. I thought if he just stayed as a proper number nine, we had the players working around him as well, it would work in a, in, in a sense as well, where it's kind of not taking up everyone's spaces, it's not dropping back into midfield to receive the ball because it's a bit annoyed at not getting involved in the game. If he stuck to that kind of discipline, he would score a lot more goals in the kind of way that he's playing now as well. But um, his replacement, Gonzalo Ramos, what a player and what an introduction to the World Cup as well. Another amazing Benfica product, Salim, as we've spoken about time and time again on this podcast as well. Just ridiculous at how well it's done. But obviously, I need to speak to you about Jao Felix. For everyone listening, Salim is an Aston Villa fan, as we all know. We all know he's an Aston Villa fan. And last night, I got a message on our WhatsApp group saying, so where do you think Jao Felix will be starting on the, on Aston Villa? As a striker, as a winger, as a number 10? And I woke up to it. I'm like, what? How? how what? How, what's happened? I'm looking at him thinking like, nah, he's not actually going to go there. But then today, when I woke up and I saw it again, there are a few strong rumours at the moment of Jao Felix moving to Aston Villa because they are a strong candidate to actually save him from the, the claws of Diego Simeone's awful brand of football. And obviously, they're out of European football now. They may want to sell some of their star players. How have you found Jao Felix this, this tournament so far, Salem? And before we get too happy about where is he, he going to play, how, how has he kind of improved since the last time you kind of saw him? I've always seen him as a decent player. Like, I've not really watched much of him because, you know, I don't watch as much Champions League as you guys do, but I do remember him in the United games. Um, scoring but he like scored that. against us. Yeah. But the thing yeah. with him is, like, to be honest, anyone that plays for Simeone, like, you know, he's going to butcher all his stats because they're going to play, like, a dash, a dash ball Burnley mm. kind of type of thing. You know, Simeone ball is, like, really defensive. So, in that sense, he'll never be able to flourish for that athletic side. But, you know, he's, he's one for uh, Felipe, you know, He'll, he'll give us the lowdown. But, you know, he was reporting Massa and, um, you know, reputable source. But you don't know, like, he might be using us to get another club. But, you know, we've got the funding there to get him. You know, we've got the manager. We've got the ambition, the owners in place that can make it happen. Um, Jorge Mendes works quite closely with um, Sawiris, one of our owners. You know, they've got, you know, personal friendship, relationship there. And he has helped us with a couple of signings before. Well, not helped us, but, you know, been part of it. But, you know, he's the agent. So he's, you know, agent, a couple of signings. And, he does recommend stuff to the board and he, he does work he does work closely with them on occasion. So, I don't know, it's, it's one that I can see happening, but at the same time, I could, you know, we could all get our hopes up and it doesn't happen. But equally, you know, like we could go there, we could spend the big money, you know, we've not even spent any of that Grealish money that we got. 
And well, we don't even, you know, we've got so much money at the board. Um, so I reckon, you know, we could make him that marquee signing. And, um, you know, sometimes it just takes that first one. You know, we we signed Camaro when United were after him and a lot of other teams. And that was a shock. You know, Diego Carlos, another one that was a shock. Coutinho, everyone said, oh, there's no chance Coutinho joined Villa. Do you know what I mean? And we somehow got him down from his 400k wages and we got him in. So I, I don't know. I wouldn't rule it out. I, I feel like if he, he come in and he could help us get Europa League first and foremost, then a couple more marquee signings like that. And, you know, you're talking top four. Um, you know, you look at Newcastle, no one thought they could have got Isaac. You know what I mean? So I wouldn't completely like rule it out and say like it's impossible and it's not going to happen. But I'd say that there's a link there and until somebody comes out and says it's not true or, you know, we get any further development, we don't we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. For everyone listening, that was that was me letting Salem talk about Aston Villa because I knew you wanted to talk about Aston Villa uh, I, I was gonna on this episode. Yeah. Um, but no, Jared Felix as well, I think is a fantastic young player. I've always rated him ever since I saw him at Benfica, way back when, when he was actually at Benfica. And the fact that he's doing really well at the World Cup, I think he's found his natural position as a left winger, keeping Rafael Leao out of the team as well, and potentially being linked with Aston Villa, which I will hate. I will absolutely hate if Jao Felix moves to Aston Villa. Now, it'd be great to see him in the Premier League, but at Aston Villa, you're kind of looking at thinking like, wow. I was surprised that he went to Atleti in the first place, being the player he was. I know they paid over 120, 140 million. 130 odd million they paid for him, which is you know what I mean, but he just didn't seem like that Atletico Madrid kind of kind of player for me but you know he's somebody that we could get in and you know he'd be such a fluid attacker he could play anywhere for us in those front four positions and you know I'd, I'd love to see something like him Buendia Ramsey Bailey you know them kind of people all on the pitch at the same time but yeah 100% I feel like we should go for him I'd love to see him in the Premier League and you know yeah. it's just a case of getting the deal over the line now maybe, maybe they could do it before he actually moves um, moves moves or moves forward in the in the yeah, maybe they could do it before he actually moves to a bigger well, club I mean, as well. I, I can't see anything happening before the end of the uh, before the end of the World Cup. But mm. you know, they you know Chelsea's in there. I feel like United's in there too. So yeah, yeah, it's going to be good. It's going to be very, very good to see how it does as well. Now, before we move on to the England topic as well, um, Morocco. We have to talk about Morocco. We have to talk about how well they did. Um, in getting into the quarterfinals as well. The first time an African country has made it to the World Cup quarterfinals since Ghana in 2010. Um, that penalty shootout was great, but I thought more than anything, their resilience in the game against Spain was even better. I haven't seen an African team defend like that ever, in my opinion. They were so resolute. They've only conceded one goal this whole tournament, and it was an own goal. So it kind of goes to show how well Morocco have done in this tournament. Amrabat looks like a completely different player as a defensive midfielder. Links with Liverpool to him at the same time. But a player that you you and I have spoken about quite a lot, Hakim Ziyech. Not really the Shisha Mahrez in a Morocco shirt, is he, Salim? He's actually even better than Riyad Mahrez from what I've seen. Pressing, defending well, holding the ball, maintaining possession, being all over the pitch, 120 minutes just running all over the pitch. And I love that from Hakim Ziyech. I think that's the real Hakim Ziyech that we've really missed as well. So, um, oh, I mean, we, we called it last week as well that Morocco are going to surprise some people and they definitely did. And they've shocked the world at once again, Salim. But um, from from a neutral point of view as well, how are you kind of seeing this Morocco side against Portugal? Yeah. A lot of people, like, when Rodri came out saying that they just sat back and hoped for pens, like, you know, I felt like they created some really good chances. I feel like they... They had more shots on goal as well. 
Yeah, and I thought they defended well. You know, obviously Spain were always going to have possession. You know, that's just the way they play line share. But you can have 99% possession. But if you don't support, you know, it don't mean anything at the end of the day. Exactly. Yeah, Japan thought, will argue that as well. Winning against yeah. Spain and winning against Germany. 17% possession, I think, against Spain yeah, as well. So I, I thought they defended well and I thought they picked their moments to counter as well quite well. So I, I'm not too sure about what, what, what he's saying. He's probably just hurt, you know, after the defeat itself. But yeah, yeah again, Zayek, he looked like a completely different player um, playing for for his national team. And, you know, it was nice to see it. And, you know, they could potentially pull off another upset. You know what I mean? Yeah, it will be a big upset if you're looking at it and you're looking at how well uh, Morocco have played, like I said, against, against a team who just scored six goals against Switzerland. And in the beginning, people are like, oh, yeah, Switzerland are going to do well against this Portugal side. They didn't. They didn't turn up at all, which was um, heartbreaking for the Swiss, obviously, but not really for the Portuguese. Uh, for the neutrals, you want to see Cristiano Ronaldo carry on forward to maybe his last ever World Cup chance as well. But I'm going to say it here first. I think Morocco could actually take Portugal all the way to penalties again. I feel like they have it in them. I feel like they have it... What a keeper, you know what I mean? In that shootout, what a keeper. And... Mm. The Penenka at the end, man. Like, you know, I couldn't believe it. I was watching it at work, to be honest. And we all gathered around the screen, shocked. It was unbelievable what Hackens yet did. It's unbelievable the keeper going the right way most of the time, anyway. Three times, I think it was as well. I was just like, okay, he saved one. It's not going to happen again. No, he saved two. Definitely not going to happen again. I saved three. And for it to be Sergio Busquets as well, that was quite funny to see mm. um, someone who was there the last time Spain actually won the World Cup in 2010. So that was his kind of tenure as a Spanish. Uh, since midfielder over as well and the overrated factor of Gavi I have to say that as well a lot of people said Gavi being the golden boy of this year he was great I'm like yeah he's great but when you get to see him in the World Cup on the biggest stage didn't turn up all I saw more from him was just fouling being out of position kind of relying on Pedri and Busquets to kind of help him out and Essential to be fair Essential had to drop into midfield quite a lot um, at the same time but he was overrun by this Moroccan side as well so Pedri um, still a fantastic player Gavi not so much in my opinion as well there's still levels for him to kind of move forward as well um, in that kind of way but yeah I'm going to back Morocco hopefully it comes out well and hopefully Morocco have a really good tournament going forward maybe even winning the World Cup they're not winning the World Cup but it's going to it's going to be fun um, but yeah main event time Salem Kylian Mbappe France let's talk about them the, the current World Cup winners before we talk about England versus France how good has Kylian Mbappe been in this tournament for you? Oh, he's obviously, you know, he's been amazing. He's lived up to it. Big shout out to Giroud as well, getting the record, or beating the record, sorry. But, you know, Mbappe just there thinking, you know, I'm beating that next anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's been amazing. But, you know, we, we're playing them next. And I feel like Kyle Walker could do a job on him, potentially. You know, I feel like if anyone was to do it, Kyle Walker, you know, maybe Aaron Van Bissaka could defensively handle him uh, for 90 minutes and more. But, no, you know, he's a quality player, world-class. And it's just a shame that we didn't get to see Haaland um, at the World Cup as well. That, that's the biggest shame, I could say, in that sense. But no, like Mbappe is living up to it. He was amazing in the last World Cup. And, you know, he's just going from strength to strength, really. Do you know what I love the most about Mbappe? And I think it's kind of helped with FIFA, what they've done this tournament as well. They put different types of stats and facts and figures on the World Cup screens now as well. So what they did earlier in one of the games, I think it was against Denmark, they put his speed, his top speed on there as well. 37 kilometers an hour the guy runs. 37, his top speed of all time. 
is 44 kilometers of all time. Kylian Mbappe may be one of the fastest footballers we've ever seen. And I know you just mentioned Arouan Bissaka there as well. It was actually Axel Tuanzebi um, who actually yeah, kept him in his pocket. Job, he, can we get Tuanzebi to come into this England squad for one game, please? He's injured still, but I reckon Maybe he would do his job. For Congo now, hasn't he? I don't know if he has. I'm still not sure about that. Um, which will be something we have to research out, uh, research about as well. But it's still saying England on the on the Man United website as well, uh, which is crazy. Probably yeah. football manager, you know, football manager seasons like players are playing for all sorts of teams, like you know, in FM FM twenty two, say Harlan's playing for Liverpool, scoring like sixty goals a year. It's just weird. Whereas in real life, he plays for Man City. So yeah, they've been, I think Mbappe is playing for United in there. But yeah, I don't know the dream. The dream if you get Mbappe with Ronaldo yeah. leaving as well, that'd be crazy. I guess that's the reason it's the game, isn't it? The game is the game, Salem. The game is the game. But yeah, talking about killing Mbappe as well, one of the most amazing young players we've seen at the last tournament as well. 18 years old was when he actually won um, the World Cup the first time. I genuinely think if he, if they beat England, they will go on to win it. I know I've talked about Brazil being favourites, but having that experience, having that pedigree in there as well, it's you can't rule out someone like Kylian Mbappe in the form that he's in as well. It's unreal to see how well he's done in this tournament. And it, they are big teams that he's faced against, faced against Denmark. Um, he did really well against Poland as well. Your boy, Matty Cash as well, Salem. That was that must have been harder for you to have seen how well he did against Matty Cash in that kind of game with a back four. I think it was 4-5-1, I think they played um, in that game, Poland. How was it for Matty Cash, Salem? You know, it's a great experience in my opinion for him. Mm. Uh, testing himself against the best and I feel like it's only going to benefit him going forward um, coming back to Villa you know he's played against Mbappe he's played against Messi now you know not many players can say they've had that experience I feel like being his first you know tournament as well major tournament I don't think he played at the Euros um, I don't think he did but yeah actually he might I, I honestly can't remember but you know he's his first World Cup coming up against players like this and you know, I was quite proud of him. I think he'd come back and, you know, he's he met Ronaldinho the next day as well, strangely enough. But, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm happy for him and I feel like hopefully he'll improve him further as a player and, you know, he can only benefit us more. You know, Athletic Madrid were after Cashy for about 40 million and then he signed a new deal for us. So, you know, he's, he's here to stay at the moment and, you know, I'm happy with that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Matty Cash has had a very good tournament for Poland so far as well. Coast kind of goes to show, like you said as well, if they declare nationalities for a, do- a different nation, they get more opportunities. They grow in an essence as well because he wouldn't have been considered for this England side who's actually at the World Cup represented for another nation, which is really nice and really good to see from a um, from a Polish point of view as well, which is very good. But yeah, now we've got to talk about England. I'll wait until Dan comes on to hear, hear about Gareth Southgate so everyone we can hear him from Dan's thoughts later on. Um, realistically speaking, Gareth Southgate said that he may have a plan to stop killing Mbappe. I thought the plan would have been five at the back. I thought it would have been a five, three, two or something like that. But, um, that's personally how I would go. I would go for Walker. I'd go for Trippier, Maguire, Stones and Luke Shaw at the back. Because when you're looking at this England side, when you're looking at how well killing Mbappe, Dembele and Giroud will do as a front three and Griezmann behind him, who's been fantastic playing in a deeper type of role this tournament, um, as well. Shout out to them because they've been so consistent at how well they've done um, scoring, creating, assisting. It's unreal mm-hmm. and it's unbelievable. That's why they're world champions and they all won the World Cup back in 2018 as well, respectively. But I think the only way we can kind of nullify them, there's, there's probably two ways I would kind of say. One way, having that back five. I think having the back five 
um, having three in midfield work really well to kind of nullify them, getting balls in behind as well. And having two, three people probably on Mbappe, Henderson, Trippier, Carl Walker, all around him at the same time would be beneficial in my opinion as well because he can always go over to the other wing but it means that Henderson can then follow him over to the other wing as well. You kind of need a man marker on him to kind of stop killing Mbappe from playing. Kind of it's like, like Herrera Hazard when he's followed him everywhere. Exactly. Under Herrera on Eden Hazard. You're looking at Jason Park on Andrea Perlo. Nigel De Jong on Lionel Messi in 2014 like I mentioned earlier as well. So many times you can kind of see it working and actually working really well to that effect as well. But can you see England winning against France, Alan, personally? I actually can, to be fair. You know, fair play to Southgate. I've given him a lot of hate and stick. Well, not hate, but I've just given him a lot of stick. And mm. I feel like he's, um, you know, taken on board advice he's probably had around him. You know, like, I think the fans have convinced him. But, you know, like, not reverting to that defensive back five with two defensive mids and no inspiration and just hoping for the best. We've actually come out and played some good football. I feel like the players have played well in the, in his like the system he's playing. I wouldn't mind going to back five against Mbappe just purely because it is Mbappe. But at the same time, I wouldn't mind playing a four. And, you know, instead of us being worried about them, get them worried about us, if anything. We've got some quality players like Bellingham and, and Rice have to start. Uh, Henderson, another one, he played really well the other day and I feel like he brings some good energy and putting him, helping out on that right side could help quite a bit. But even going forward, you know, we've got some quality players, Foden, Saka, Kane, probably my front three. And you've got people off the bench that could come on and cause problems like Rashford. Like, what? why can't he come on? And, you know, what, he could be the one that they need to man-mark, if anything. But They need to be worried about Marcus Rashford. I would say that again and again and again. Yeah, Him, so Saka, know, Foden, big like amazing Kyle Walker, Kyle Walker especially is a good matchup. No, I'm not going to say he's like, you know, better defensively that, than Mbappe is attacking. But I feel like he'd give him a really good test and... Yeah, you know, I feel like if anyone's got that recovery pace, you've seen it so many times in the league, even if someone gets past him, he's so quick at getting back, even balls over the top in behind. He's so good at catching him up. Yeah, definitely. Definitely need to see how well Kyle Walker will do against um, against Killing and Bath as well, which will be very good at the same time. Um, but yeah, now Dan's joining us live on the podcast, which will be quite fun. So we'll let Dan get set up. Um, evening, well. Hamza. Good evening, Dan. How are you doing? You all right? I'm very well, thank you, mate. How are you? Good, thank you. Dan, this is Salim, my co-host, and BFF forever. Uh, <laughs> nice to meet you. And then Salim, this is Dan, mm-hmm. one of the best young coaches in, in England as well, which will be pretty good. Oh, so. thank you very much, Hamza. I mean, it's true. The, the way that you've been coaching has been fantastic to really see. Um, Dan, we waited for you all podcasts, which is perfectly fine. We're wrapping up in 10 minutes, so I know you have to go as well, which is fine. No, as it's well not, as, mate. Uh, that's all good. Um, just talk to us about how you think Gareth Southgate should set up versus France for us because we've talked about all the quarter finals we set up for um, the fourth one being England versus France made it made it easy so you could join at the right time but oh, let's see your first until last best until last how, how do you think Gareth Southgate will do um, against France I think uh, we've, we've been talking about it today actually I've been throwing the question out to a couple of people um, uh, for me I think you've got to stay the same I think you've got the best record in the World Cup Um Scored, scored 12, conceded two, three clean sheets out of it. Um, so I think statistically the best team in the World Cup on paper. Um, and I just think don't get too caught up in the how to stop Mbappe sort of thing. Just let them sort of worry about us. So I'd stick with the, the 4 3 3. He might, I don't think he'll go 4 2 3 1. Um, I don't think he'll, he'll do that. I think he'll stick with 
I think you might stick with Henderson, to be quite honest. We were um, talking about that as well. We we're talking about how Henderson has brought the experience, the characteristics in the midfield that we kind of lacked, especially in the Euros final as well, before he came on as a sub um, as well. But do you think that having Henderson in midfield with Declan Rice kind of allows Jude Bellingham to be a lot more free and a lot more open in his play? I think so. And I think it takes a lot of pressure off Declan Rice. I think Declan Rice plays with West Ham and he's their captain and he's got a bit of pressure on his shoulders there. And I think just Henderson being there and he's played in the biggest games at club level, hasn't he? And he's been around England setup as well. I think it's just that. I think you see a bit more out of Declan Rice, not just Bellingham. I think you see a bit more out of him as well uh, with yeah. somebody like Henderson there. And then um, with the whole attacking situation as well, this is where the big debate comes into the three of us as well. Would you stick or would you twist against this French defence? Because if you're looking at Kunde, if you're looking at Rafael Varane, if you're looking at Upamecano, and you're looking at Theo Hernandez, do you stick or do you twist? Do you go for Saka on the right, Foden on the left, Kane in the middle, or do you kind of bring in Marcus Rashford on the left or on the right? How would you kind of go? Salim, we'll start with you first, actually, before bringing Dan in. Well, yeah, to be honest, we've been saying the same things. Like, I, I think Henderson should start, you know, just because an experienced head in that midfield and he does give more freedom to Bellingham and Rice and he can help cover on that right-hand side. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, my front three, well, that'd be my midfield three and my front three would be Saka on the right, Foden on the left and Kane through the middle. I feel like Rashford would be a good one off the bench. Uh, I feel like he's been a, a better option off the bench um, than he has been when he started. Um, you know, coming on with all that pace caused like a lot of problems and if we're losing, we can obviously go to a 4-2-3-1 with another attacking player in. If, even if we're winning, we could just take off one of the front three and get, get Rashford in because Kane and Rashford have that good link up especially like yeah. Kane when he drops deep Kane drops deep and Rashford goes in behind but yeah I feel like I feel like it'll be a good game and, and like you said everyone just keeps worrying about this how to deal with Mbappe problem more than the actual game itself you know imagine we've got this whole plan for Mbappe and he yeah. sent off in the first minute do you know what I mean but it could happen it could happen but, but what I think is like if anything we've got a team full of superstars like, I feel like this is the best England team I've ever seen. I think technically, in terms of chemistry-wise, we're better than the the golden generation as well. We've got truly world-class players there, pretty much in nearly every position. And I feel like they, France, are going to be the ones that are going to be worried about players like Foden, Kane, you know, and so on. And the strength and depth that we have as well, which would be scary to see, because there's one player that we haven't mentioned in attack that I still think can bring quite a bit of damage into this kind of side against France. And that's Jack Grealish. So Salim here is an Aston Villa fan, Dan. But let's see your thoughts on Grealish. Do you think he will make a big impact coming off the bench in this France game? Uh, He might even start him, to be fair. But I don't think he will. I I wouldn't mind him starting on the left, to be fair as well. Look at Salim smiling. He's never seen me praise Grealish like this in the quiet uh, I'd, 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 rather, I'd rather take Jacob Ramsey from, from oh my god him. stop stop we've given you some credit <laughs> not all the credit Salem. come on come on now Grealish uh, versus Kunde would be a very good battle though that's what I'm saying I just don't think he trusts him does he defensively I think is, I think Grealish is seen a bit more as a maverick I think mm. than, but obviously there's something there because Pep wouldn't be having him if he wasn't um, if he wasn't as disciplined as as he needed to be but I just don't think Southgate's having him, is he? Yeah, See, I, I think it's the opposite. Like, as in, I agree with you, but I think Grealish is like a disciplined, disciplined player, especially playing in that Villa team where you're having to defend yeah. quite a lot, especially in the away game. So, you know, former captain as well. Yeah, and he was playing a number eight yeah. for us in the championship. So, I really agree with Southgate on that. But for us, like, if he had taken Ward Prowse as well, like, imagine like if we're like a goal down or even level, and you've got that combination of Grealish winning like every single free kick, and you just got yeah. whipping balls in for fun. 
Yeah, and with the that height was, that was uh, that, that, that was the debate, good, good that was the debate it, before the World Cup. That was a it was a good uh, a good discussion that way about who to take, and there was some logic to it. Yeah, exactly. How I'm looking at it as well is the fact that we don't have Raheem Sterling in the squad, unfortunately. So we are going to have to kind of utilise our attackers and Callum Wilson has missed another training session, so he may not be fully fit for the game. And there are a couple of players who I think can still bring creativity and a bit more of, kind of like Dan said as well, a bit more of maverickness coming off, if that's even a word, coming off <laughs> the bench as well. James Madison, prime example, yet to play. Trent Alexander-Arnold yet to play um, yes. more than 30, 40 minutes in the game as well. I think he'd be a really good player coming off the bench at the same time. I think it'd be fantastic to see how Trent could do, Madison could do, and Grealish could do, because they can all keep the ball. And that's something that's yeah. that as well. And I think, Dan, we've had this conversation at uni um, as well. The fact that the whole kind of way football has been changed over the last 10, 15 years in, in England is because of how well some of these players are actually doing. And we've seen the likes of it in professional football, which is um, unbelievable to see because they can play in different positions, yeah. play different tempos and play in different um, different ways, which is fantastic to really see. But my question to both of you before we wrap up the podcast, not if England are going to beat France, but can England outplay France is the main question. Go on, Dad. I'm itching to say yes. Mm. It, but my head is probably saying no. However, I do think we have got enough about us and enough discipline to go, well, we'll let you have the ball there and in these areas. But and I think I, I do think we'll beat France. I'm, I'm I think we'll win the World Cup, to be honest. I'm quite I've That's why quite... I got you on the podcast, Dan. That's why I got you, you don't have to be I'm um, quite reserved about it. Yeah, I know, I know very, you're happy about it. It needs to be I've done, it very, needs to be said. I've been very vocal about it. I think we'll win it. Uh, and I think I think we've got a manager now who doesn't get caught up in the hype of we've got to play a certain way and we've got to play players here and do this and do that. I think he looks at a game and goes, "If I think he's basically looked at it and gone, if I win seven games, 1-0, we've won the World Cup. And quite frankly, if that's what he does, then good on him. It nearly happened think, in the Euros as well, winning 2-1, yeah, 2-0 against Germany. I think well. it'd be very naive to try and outplay France, but I also think you can't get caught up in trying to... You've got to try and stop Mbappé, haven't you? But you can't let all your pre-match be. I think Kyle Walker's come out and said it, hasn't he? That he's done a really good interview today about him and Mbappe, and uh, he'll just deal with it as he, as he does with every other opposition. I think yeah. that's the best way to go about it. Definitely, I, no, I, I definitely agree with that as well. You're looking at Mbappe and you're looking at Kyle Walker, and you're thinking if that's just one battle one, like you've both kind of said over the conversation earlier that we've had, where else can you kind of attack France? That midfield is kind of suspect with uh, Rabiot. Um, I'd say he's their weak link in midfield so far from what I've seen. Chimene's yeah. been brilliant. Griezmann's been brilliant, but you can you can attack Rabiot. And if it means that you can outplay them um, in probably wide areas, not in centre midfield areas, that's probably where you're going to have to try and literally outwit France. That's how yeah. I would go about it personally. Chimene's a great player, isn't he, as well? He's a, a joy. One of the best midfielders in the World Cup I've seen. Yeah. I think it's fantastic yeah. to really go for as well. And Salim, last thoughts from you before we wrap up. How do you think we'll do against France? Yeah, I agree with Dan, to be honest. I feel like we can win this World Cup. And, you know, I've been saying, like, I'm happy that Southgate hasn't sort of resorted to this ultra-defensive type of football. We've actually gone out, we've played quite well. You know, in, against Senegal, we weren't the better team until we, we sort of got the goal and then we kept in the game. And, you know, we, we have to show that resilience, especially in, like, knockout stages of tournaments. I feel like we've got it in us, even if we were to go, like, a goal behind that, it wouldn't be game over for us. Cause, you know, I agree. I agree with the that. Head, I think. The head drops. You know, like, in the last two tournaments, we've been forward and we've, we've lost the game. 
but I feel like the players are more experienced and I feel like we could manage it. So, so yeah, I feel like it's not even a case of outplaying France. I just feel like it's a case of being cleverer than France. Yeah, that's a great that's a great way of putting it, to be honest. Great way of putting it. Definitely. Nicely done. So everyone's last minute predictions for the quarterfinals. I'm going to start off. I'm going to go Brazil. I'm going to go Netherlands. I'm going to go Morocco. And I'm going to go England. Let me, let me be a bit objective here by saying... England, well, that's the least objective I've ever been. I think it's going to be a good win for Brazil. I think Netherlands will turn up against Argentina. I think they'll win within uh, before extra time. I think, yeah. yeah, I generally think Netherlands will do it. I think their pace, I think their structure that they've got with Van Gaal will be fantastic. Um, England, I'm going to be biased and say I want England to win. I think England can win, and I think Morocco could do the exact same um, against Portugal and knock out Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, as well, uh, I'd love that. It, I wouldn't love it, but it'd be great to see Morocco. Oh win. God, I'd love it. It'd be funny. Uh, but Messi and Ronaldo out in the cause would be quite funny, to be fair. Salem, <laughs> your your final predictions before we wrap up. What have we got? I'd say Argen- Argentina, uh, Brazil, because I feel like that sets up the Argentina Brazil semi final. That'd be a joy. I've never seen uh, one oh. of those in my lifetime at a World Cup, so and it'd think, be absolutely joy. I think, I think it'll be us. I think we'll we'll go through England, and I think it'll be um, Portugal as well. England Portugal semi final knocking out Ronaldo in the semi final yeah. that'd be even better. I hope Harry, I hope Harry Kane. Oh, sorry, I hope Harry Kane knocks him out and does a little wink as he walks past. Yeah. The final penalty. I feel like they've caused us so much heartbreak, you know, on penalties, especially Euro, yeah. World Cup 06, and the wink situation and everything. So I feel like you know we knock them out. Potentially, Cristiano just sat on the bench as him and oh. give him a wave as he walks past him. Oh, that'd be incredible. Yeah, Aaron Ramsdale going Sue in front of him. That was definitely- <laughs> yeah, yeah. incredible. But yeah, I feel like that, that that would be my thought to go through. And I feel like that, that would set up probably some of the best semi-finals you could ever see. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Go on, Dan. Your final four predictions for the quarterfinals. Who are we going for? I'm gonna go Brazil, Argentina, England, and I'm gonna I'm gonna back Morocco because I like an dog. But back yeah, I, can, I can I can see it. I was I was hoping Japan would have been the original underdog for this World Cup, but Morocco t- uh, took over, which was great to see. And it shows yeah. that there are still no favourites anymore in football anymore. Anyone can beat anyone, which is great to see, as we've seen in this World Cup. Which is which is someone um, someone sent me a really good Twitter thread about Morocco and the the tactical stuff that they do. I, w- I won't get into it, but yeah, it was really. It was, it send was it to me good. later. We'll mention it. Yeah, what I sent it across. Yeah, it was really good. Really. A good detail, but yeah, nicely, nicely done. But no, Dan, thank you very much for joining. Um, no, thanks for having me. It's been great to have you, and looking forward to see you again soon. Your mates are on later on as well. We've got Carvin talking about Wales and Rob Page, and we've got Dan talking about uh Luis Enrique and how we failed oh, to get through, um, how we failed to get through Spain as well. So I'm looking forward to hearing their thoughts later on. Salim, it's a pleasure as always, my friend. Look forward to seeing you soon. <laughs> Maybe if I'm free Tuesday next week, we could we could maybe watch a game together if there's a game on Tuesday. I don't know if there is, um, but we'll see how it goes if I've got my uni work done. And Dan, I'll see you on Friday. But everyone, thank you very much for your time today. Take care and we'll see you on the next podcast. And now we're on to the next part of the podcast where I'm introducing three of my football coaching friends um, at university to talk through three different coaches um, on this week's podcast. Because obviously we are talking about who is the best coach in the FIFA World Cup at the time of speaking. And this is obviously after the time of speaking, Wales are out of the World Cup. So I thought, you know what? I mentioned my friend Carwin on the podcast before. Let me get a Welsh perspective of how they did in the World Cup and how Carwin is doing now Wales are out of the World Cup. So Carwin, good to hear from you again, my friend. Um, How are you enjoying the World Cup as a neutral fan um, these days? 
It's or an anti-England fan, I should say. <laughs> Not enjoyable, because England's <laughs> doing well. And I hate to see them doing well, but I've got to be... Have you got your France kit uh, ready for sa- for Saturday as well? Yeah, it's on its way. It's on its way. I have my Sen- Senegal one. It's going to have to keep collecting them all until we go all the way. It's coming home, Carl, yeah. and it's coming home. No. Um, but no, it's good to hear from you. It's good to see from you. And obviously, yeah. well, not obviously for people listening, but um, you are a match-going Wales fan as well. So you go home, you go away. You've been following their journey towards the World Cup as well. Um, I just want to get a few bits of bits of information really from you as well on how you think Wells did at the World Cup, how you think Page did at the World Cup and what do you think can change for the future? So first question to you, um, Carwin, we're going to talk about Rob Page. How do you think he sets up his team at the World Cup? Was it too negative? Could he have changed his um, uh, school of thought basically? How do you kind of see that so far? Well, we went into the World Cup with obviously five at the back, probably playing a defensive kind of style. But when we played the USA it was even more defensive than what we've been doing so it was kind of unexpected really to see that but obviously I get it it's the World Cup you need to keep it tight at the back in in those opening games in the groups in the group games trying to make a goal but obviously it didn't work in the first half against the USA so we brought on our big talisman Kiefer Moore who I love by the way I think he's brilliant and he obviously changed the game against the USA. And he got us back into that game because we played more on the front foot in the second half. We got balls up to him. And yeah, he did brilliantly and obviously got us back into the game. Bale, obviously, with a penalty against the USA, which takes nerves of steel. And I'll never, ever forget the moment that penalty was taken because it was just a special, special moment for me. And probably a special moment for the whole nation as well, seeing your yeah, team at a World Cup in their lifetime. Yeah, and seeing Gareth Bale score, which is insane. Um, but just in terms of Rob Page's style of play, so obviously you have to be a bit more defensive with how you kind of came into the World Cup. Um, looking back on that USA game before we move on to the Iran game as well, mm-hmm. what were the kind of promising signs that you can see from this Welsh side going forward? So what do you think actually worked well in this Rob Page um, side for Wales? Well, we've got some brilliant young players coming through like Nico Williams, Ethan Ampadu, who can who can build the team around for the future because let's be real Bale Ramsey Joe Allen are on their last leg so we need to move on try to move on and try to blood these new young players in who can who can build our future squads around yeah absolutely and the way I saw it as well the way that you had your team set up against um, Iran as well it looked a bit more attacking it felt a bit more attacking I remember going home from from uni and trying to have a look at this team and I was like you know what this team could actually do something now in this game um, against Iran and I was kind of looking at it thinking like this is a team where Iran literally just got beat 6-2 we still had a 3-5-2 but the fact that Nico Williams and Harry Wilson were causing chaos on that left hand side as well from what I remember um, especially in that first half, you're kind of thinking like this is something to build on as well. But um, in in all truthfulness as well, do you think this is the way that Wales have to build forward as well? Like building around these kind of young players? I thought Harry Wilson is a yeah. young spark so far. He didn't have the best of tournaments, but um, maybe someone that you can build around as well because you've got Daniel James who's in and out of the starting lineup as well. But Harry Wilson, Ampadu and Nico Williams, like you said, they're starters as well, um, Carwin. Yeah, they've been brilliant for us, these young players, because... When you have players like Bale and Ramsey there, who we all just look up to and just rely on, but when you, when people like Ampadu, Nico Williams, Harry Wilson, Dan James can also perform, it's good for us. But I think we we have relied too much on 
Bale and Ramsey in the past. But so it's time for us, for these young players to step up now and give us new players to rely on. Yeah, absolutely. Because when I was looking at the England game as well against against Wales, I was like, there's one player on your bench who I wanted to see, Dylan Levitt, former Man United reserve player. And I was like, he's a good sense midfielder. Things at Dundee United now. Yeah, um, exactly. But a lot of these young players didn't get a game. Um, was there a reason why you think they didn't get a game? They're just not good enough. They weren't ready. Um, they were just happy sticking with the kind of team that you've got. What do you think yeah. it kind of was, Carl? I think it was down to Rob Page just trusting the players that got him there in the first place. Yeah. So picking the team that got us to the World Cup and it would have been unfair dropping them, really. Mm. So, and then you've got players like Dylan Levitt, who has played a few games, but is unproven at that level. So you can't throw him in, in into that into that spotlight straight away. Yeah, exactly. So Dylan Levitt and Sorba Thomas are two attacking players I want to see a bit more of as well. But yeah, I'm, hopefully I'm the- Sorba Thomas didn't play more because every time he plays, he's... He's a bright spark, I think. Yeah, yeah. Really well. Yeah, it's just one of those things. But um, if you were looking forward to the next European Championships mm-hmm. in 2024 in Germany, would you like to see a complete overhaul of this Welsh side? Like, instead of having the mix of youth and experience, would you think it's going to be okay to stick with Bale, stick with Ramsey, stick with Ben Davies, and then just carry on with the new kind of team going forward? Because we've seen lots of teams rebuild under that kind of mantra. But what would your kind of coaching philosophy be for this kind of Welsh side moving forward from your point of view, Carmen? I think it's the end end of the road for players like Bale Ramsey now I think because this World Cup proved they're just not at the level good enough now for us so we Mm. need to blood these new youngsters in because we've got uh, Luke Harris for Fulham Jordan James for um, Birmingham we've got a few other other ones as well so we need we need to give these players a cap uh, give these players caps before the Euros so they're ready yeah, no, I can understand that. And obviously, as a Wells going fan as well, like you just said, or like we yeah. just mentioned earlier as well, you want to see more attractive football. You want to see more match-winning football and you want to go to more international tournaments as well. So um, hopefully for you, that will be more beneficial for your side as well. Like I said on previous podcasts, I sometimes back Wales, I can't lie. I, I genuinely do. I like the country. I like the people from Wales. So it's all good. And like I said as well, I may have uh, hidden Welsh heritage in my blood somewhere. You never know. You never know. Yeah. Um, but no, thank you for um, that, Carwin. Before we wrap up this part of the podcast and I move on to the next part or the next guest I, I get on, quick yep. predictions for uh, for the World Cup. So we've got Argentina versus Netherlands. We've got France versus England. And we've got Croatia versus Brazil at this current moment. So first yeah. of all, Brazil versus Croatia, who's going to win and why? Ooh, I think I, Brazil was my pick before the tournament started. So I'm going to stick with Brazil. They were brilliant last night. And I think they will cruise past Croatia, I think, because I think they're in a similar position to Wales. They've got ageing players, so I don't think Croatia will be any problem to Brazil. And for Croatia as well, you probably expect that to be at their part. If they beat Brazil, it'll be even more of a shock almost than Morocco yeah. beat in Spain as, at the time of speaking as well. So that's Brazil for you. Um, Argentina versus Netherlands. Do you think Louis van Gaal can stick one on Lionel Messi after <laughs> losing in 2014? What do you think? I love Messi and I love this Argentina squad because I love uh, Lissandro Martinez. My guy, my guy, he needs to play more, man. That last minute interception by Lissandro Martinez. That was brilliant, wasn't it? World-class interception and they could have gone to extra time in that Australia game but Martinez was the guy that saved them and people don't appreciate it. And Martinez as well, the, uh, the keeper. 
Amy Martinez, Lisandro Martinez, just not Lautaro Martinez. He's, he's oh. a bit of a bit of a mercenary at the moment, sure. missing all these chances and messing up. I saw him in Inter Milan earlier this season as well, and he's missing so many chances. So I've mm. seen that for a while now. Um, but yeah, do you think Messi's got it in him to actually? Um, I think it'll be one game too many for them. One game too many. Ooh. I'm going to go with Netherlands. I think Netherlands. Angal. Masterclass. Masterclass. <laughs> I need to look at how masterclass it's been a while. I need to see him against yeah. a bigger team, which needs to be done. No disrespect to USA or Senegal, but I need to see him against a big team. Yeah. And final prediction, obviously, before um before we wrap up this one. England or France, are you gonna give us any credit or is it gonna be Kylian Mbappe and Dembele all the way for you? No, France. Move oh, on. God's sake, man. God's sake. Yeah. I personally think we should play a back five against France as well. So I'll be, I'll nah, be. Just keep it, just keep it. I think you would say keep it. So killing Mbappe, Tez, Carl Walker, and you on. John Stones is on that side of the pitch as well. So it's Walker, Stones, and Henderson versus Killing Mbappe. Mbappe. I'm not looking clever though. Well. Mbappe's clever, so he'll just go on the other side, won't he? That's what I say all the time. I'm like they're wingers that can go either side, and Mbappe, Mbappe played right side most of the 2018 World Cup as well, so he can play wherever, um, which is insane. But yeah, I'm looking forward to these games as well. Um, Carmen, I just want to say thank you very much for your time. Um, we'll speak more in person when, when I see you next and we'll see you on the next one. Take care. And finally, we are back on the last section of this week's podcast. And this section has been recorded a day after we recorded the actual uh, main body of the podcast, the quarterfinal preview as well. Mainly because there has been a shock sacking in international football. Or I shouldn't say sacking. I think it's actually just the fact that they've parted ways, which is now the term now as well. So Luis Enrique has decided to leave um, his manager role at Spain. So I'm really looking forward to seeing where he goes next. I want to see him back in club football, but I think it was due to that embarrassment of a defeat against Morocco personally. And I needed to bring my friend Dan onto the podcast to kind of hear his thoughts on this as well. Dan, thank you very much for joining us um, today as well. Thank you for taking the time out to speak to us as well. It's been great to speak to you in person. I'm glad you got on the podcast today. Uh, before we get into the Luis Enrique situation, how's everything going for you and how are you enjoying the World Cup? Yeah, yeah, good. Um, I mean, at first the World Cup felt a bit icky, didn't it? But I think the football's done all the talking, really. It's been one of the best World Cups when it comes to shocks, definitely. I think with me, for the World Cup, it's, it's kind of distracted from the fact that it's winter because you're inside all the time, just kind of enjoying it. And then when you're out, you're kind of like, oh yeah, football was on earlier for like three, four games earlier. And it was fantastic to see. And then you're kind of missing like that fourth game in a yeah. day or a third game in a day. And now we're just waiting until well, tomorrow, really, Friday, when we're actually getting it. Um, of course, the finals, two games in a day, which would be good fun. Um, yeah. what's, your, what's been your uh, favourite moment of the World Cup so far? Um, I think it's got to be... <laughs> Uh, my friend won't like this, Carwin, but I think it was the Iran game against Wales. Don't worry, Car- Carwin was just before you on the podcast as well. So literally the fact that like, uh, we were talking about Wales and how they need to improve as well. I'm looking forward to seeing how Carwin um, gets to enjoy Wales in the future as well. Because their superstars are at an age where they're just done in it. They're literally done. Gareth yeah. Bale's done. Ramsey's done. Uh, it's not great, but their future's looking brighter than it has been, which is really good to see um, in that kind of way as well. But let's talk Luis Enrique. Let's talk about how Spain started so well against Costa Rica. They had such an amazing start. They had people placing bets on them all across the world in terms of how they could have been the World Cup winners under Luis Enrique. We were originally going to talk about who was the best manager in the World Cup as one of our podcast topics. And Luis Enrique came to mind um, for me personally, because I watched him, I've said this numerous times, but when I got to watch his team at Euro 2020 against Italy, I thought they were the better team. I thought they were fantastic. 
but they just lacked penetration in that final third as well. They're very good at keeping the ball. They're very good at keeping um, possession of the ball as well. And actually pressing from the front, they were actually very good. But um, going back onto that Costa Rica topic as well, were you kind of like soaked up in the kind of hype that Spain had as well? Because I definitely was as a football fan. I was like, wow, the Spain team is incredible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think... Um... Spain was just one of those ones that you always seem to forget about, didn't they? They because they're possession based, it's very city like, isn't it? They're not boring, but they just stranglehold matches. Monotonous. Yeah, exactly. And then it's like you're thinking about Brazil, Argentina, hopefully England. Spain go, sort of goes under the radar, and then they won seven nil, and it was like because uh, whenever I think of Spain, I I never think of them as having a striker. It's always strange. Like they've, mm. it, they're just a team of midfielders. So to score seven, yeah, it, it made me sit up and listen. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. And when you're looking at the way that they played with their attacking midfielders, with their wingers that they had as well, you're kind of looking at the Spain team thinking they really have something that a lot of teams don't have. They have literally control in probably one to eleven in part of the pitch as well, which is really expected from this Luis Enrique side, in my opinion, as well. I went on record before the tournament. I said Gavi was overrated as hell from what I saw of him personally for Barcelona in the Champions League and Europa League last season as well. I thought Pedri was one of the better players, but I thought they had better midfielders that they should have been playing instead of Busquets, Pedri and Gavi. It could have been Busquets, um, Rodri and probably um, Pedri as well. In my opinion, I thought that was, was how it should have gone as well. Do you think Luis Enrique's kind of dependence on Barcelona players kind of changed his way of playing for this Barcelona style um, for Spain because I was looking at it thinking there are very good players on this bench there are very good players left out of the squad and even if we take Thiago for example as well a lot of people after that 7-0 win were like oh yeah he knows what he's doing he's doing great this is what's happening with Spain this is the future but Thiago's been great for like the good last three four years I would say even more than that when he's at Bayern Munich as well Um, I want to just hear your thoughts on that if I can Dan yeah, no, no, I get where you're coming from. I mean, it's not the first time he's been accused of Barcelona, anti-Real Madrid bias, really, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> people say. But yeah, because he, yeah, Thiago would control, especially again, <clears throat> I'd say against that Morocco team, like they needed someone because the way that Morocco basically eliminated was they stopped Bus- Busquets from being able to play. Yeah. That was the heartbeat of the team. So if he'd have brought Thiago on, um, there would have been two players that could have used their positional awareness and their passing to be able to get back into the side. And the fact so, that Thiago wasn't even in the whole squad for the World Cup as well, that's that's just like a big talking point that a lot of yeah. English fans had as well because we're looking at him at Liverpool, we're looking at him in the Champions League. And just like you said, if we were to have been able to bring him on, if Spain were able to bring him on, as opposed to leaving Koke on the bench for the whole 120 minutes, for example, or bringing on Carlos Soler, um, the former Valencia man now at PSG, you had a better quality of midfielder kind of on, on, on the team as well. And I thought personally, that's what they really, really lacked. And when you're looking at some of the players that they had on the bench as well, Azpilicueta, you're looking at Paul Torres, you're looking at Carvajal as well. Again, we're talking about the anti kind of Real Madrid agenda. I thought Carvajal would have been a better player at right back than Lorente, and Lorente would have been a better type of midfielder um, for the Spanish side as well. I thought there were so many things that they got wrong in that Morocco game. It was uncanny that Rodri came out and tried to call out the Moroccan side because it looked a bit embarrassing and a bit childish yeah. in a way um, that 
Morocco had the better chances in the game. They had the better um, outlook in the game as well. And Spain literally just ticky-tackering around the whole pitch as well. Yeah, and also like it was a drop in Aspelacueta was an interesting one because he played him against Germany and he did quite well against Germany. I think he played in the Costa Rica side as well because like <clears throat> the way that Luis Enrique likes to set it up is he allows one of the wing-backs to go up and because Rodri's now in defence, he brings another wing-back inside, which mm. is Aspelacueta's cup of tea, basically. And then... Yeah, he drops him for Morocco, which is the knockout stage. It was just a strange decision, really. Yeah, his- I agree. And obviously, he played against Japan as well in that kind of game where he sets up Alvaro Morata with that cross as well. So it was one of those things that we're looking at Azpilicueta thinking, like, what did he kind of do wrong in that yeah. Japan game for him to kind of get dropped in that kind of way? Because you're looking at it and you're thinking, like, come on, there was some proper experience in the side. And Lorente, as we kind of saw against Morocco, he kind of got dominated uh, and Buffal as well the former Southampton Southampton winger at the same time but what can you kind of take away from this whole experience as Luis Enrique as Spain manager especially from this World Cup Dan are there any kind of tactical points you think oh yeah he did really good at or he did really bad at um, I just want to hear your kind of thoughts on this if that's alright um, well I think uh, bringing Rodri back into the centre of defence was a really good idea because him and Laporta if you like look at passing network maps for like basically all their games it's uh, Rodri and Laporta that are coming up all the time. Um, I do think that he needs to move away from the dependent, I mean, I guess he doesn't need to now, but dependence of Busquets because just have a, some other player there that's the heartbeat. Obviously, Busquets sitting in front of defence is helping and it allows um, Gavi and all that to uh, go forwards. But the problem was that Asensio would come too deep to try and get the ball. So you've got these two talented midfielders running forwards and they haven't got a striker to send it to. So that's the reason. I think that's the reason why he brought on Morata against Germany because Morata was able to make the runs to be able to score. Um, yeah, it was just, I don't know, because I, I agree with you. I think he's the best manager there. He was the best manager in the tournament. He's brilliant. But... Don't know. It was just. It felt like he had his loyals. Like he had to stick to certain players and he tried to shoehorn them into the way they wanted to play. Yeah, I was looking at that, especially in the the Germany game as well. I thought they literally had it within them to just kill that group off there and then. Germany were not up to standard. I mean, we did a watch long on that kind of game as well, and I was looking at it thinking, like, come on, this is a t- the team that aren't even on the best of forms. They just lost to Japan. Spain, excuse me, could have actually just ended up winning that game probably 2-3-1 before they ended up drawing 1-1 as well, I think, in that game. And you're looking at it and you're looking at Spain thinking there's so much more that they can actually bring from this kind of side as well. Are there any kind of young players that you're looking at in the Spain team, probably from the bench or not even in the squad, um, that you think, you know what, they can make a real difference in the future of Spanish football besides the obvious choices of Pedri and Gavi and probably even Balde um, in that kind of example as well? Because I was looking at a few and I'm like... Yeah, they're good, but are they going to be great or are they just kind of overhyped, um, in my opinion, as well? What, nah. what would you say, that? Yeah, I see where you're coming from. I mean, it's just... Yeah, because obviously Boulder's one that you'd sort of look at. Um, but I think that the problem with them is that they're thinking that Pedri and Gavi are going to be the next Iniesta and Javi. Exactly. And because you're pushing that onto them so early, they're so focused on that. I mean... Ferran Torres has gone to Barcelona and it's like, 
I don't know. It just doesn't feel like he's done a huge amount. He barely like, plays for them, to be fair. It's bench warming. Yeah, and it's like you've you're not seeing a lot of players that are sort of being brought up to the squads. I mean, you've got quite a few players that are either in their thirties or pushing to their thirties. Like I don't know. Okay, he's been one of them as well. You've had Asensio, um, probably 27, 28 by now as well. Sarabia, Carvajal, Morata, of course, as well. These are players that weren't fully developed in the Spanish squad and then they just get moved on to rather being bench players or just squad players, unfortunately, as well, which isn't great um, for yeah. Spain. I do, like, um, I do like Pau Torres a lot. Um, I think he's been fantastic, but it's just if, if, if they're, if they're going to go for two left-footed centre-backs, because you're not going to get rid of Laporte. Um, unless it's yeah. having a big dip in form as well, or unless it's going back to being French as well, which we never know. It could happen. It could happen as well. Okay. Um, but one one kind of one that I wanted to talk to you about, if you have the time, is Jeremy Pino. We saw him, you and I both saw him, saw him for Villarreal over the years as well, being both Man United fans as well. So we've seen him do damage against the bigger teams on the biggest stage in the Champions League as well. But when it came to the biggest international stage, I don't remember him really getting a kick in the Spanish side, and I'm not sure why. I'm not sure how uh, Nico Williams got the nod above Jeremy Pino. And even with Sarabi as well against Morocco, it's quite odd to see Pino just still on the bench. Do you have anything to kind of add to that with Jeremy Pino and how you've kind of seen him um, from no, what no, you can know about him? Yeah, no, I know. I agree. Like, you've got to think that, what was it, a year, year and a half ago, he was in the side that won the Europa League? Mm. Like, and he had a great tournament, like in the Europa League then. And it's like, just never felt like he was one that Luis Enrique was ever really looking at. Like, what is it? He's only, I think he's only played for the Spanish side like a handful of times. Is it like five, five times or something? Yeah, five times, no minutes at the World Cup. It was something that Luis Enrique was so adamant, like you said, about shoehorn, shoehorning players in for the sake of getting players in as well. And it didn't happen with Jeremy Pino as well, because he definitely would have been a bigger shout um, from what we kind of saw as well. So I was just really wondering why he didn't play and kind of got lost in in a way. Um, was, uh, even in that 7-0, when I was looking at it, thinking like, come on, at least bring some, one of these younger guys on. Fatty stayed on the bench. I think Nico Williams was the only young guy that kind of came off and yeah. came onto the pitch as well. And one last thing before we wrap up as well, I need to talk to you about David De Gea. Do you think he's ever going to get back into this Spanish side now that Luis Enrique is no longer manager? I still think there's hope. I don't think he's going to be retired just yet. I still think there's hope because Unai Simon did not fill me with confidence, even from a neutral perspective, let alone from a Spanish perspective as well. No, was it the was it the Germany game or was it the Japan game where he all, he made that stinker straight away and like Japan second half and he just gifted it back to them as well. All yeah, distribution. And it was just like, what are you doing? Um, I mean. <clears throat> I'd argue yes. Obviously, I'm a Man United fan. Um, a huge Ten Hag fan as well. Mm. And the difference between De Gea's distribution this season is already something that you can see. So if that is really such a big draw when it comes to the Spanish side, I think he's answering like a lot of questions there. Um, not only that, you can't, you just can't argue with De Gea's reflexes. Like at all. Like he's he would just have so saved quick. so many of those shots as well against Japan. I swear they got bombarded with shots against Japan and against Germany. And you're looking at that first goal, especially De Gea would have saved it perfectly fine as well, which would have been great. And he had a better save percentage after the Europa League final uh, for penalties than Unai Simon did over the last two years as well. So that yeah, was the thing where you're kind of looking at it thinking David De Gea may have been a better choice um, of goalkeeper for the Spanish side as well. 
Yeah, looking at the uh, penalties that the Moroccans did, I definitely would have backed De Gea to save at least one of them. Mm. Definitely. So, Because the way I saw it with the Moroccan penalties, though, kind of like the Japanese penalties, with no disrespect to them as well. It's just that the keeper didn't dive the right way. If they were being... If they were being selected and they checked, they went the right way, they would have saved it because it would have been just a poor penalty. But because they went the opposite way, it was like, oh, yeah, it's cool. It's fine. Yeah. But it, it didn't actually happen um, as well. Um, but yeah, no, thank you very much for going through um, your thoughts as well with Spain, Dan. It's been great to chat with you. One last question before we wrap it up as well. Um, your predictions for the quarterfinals. We are a day before the quarterfinals. So Croatia versus Brazil. Who's winning? I'd go with Brazil there. Going for Brazil. Then you're going for Argentina versus Netherlands. Who's winning that? I just don't think you can argue against Lionel Messi, can you, at the moment? Louvain Howe would argue otherwise. I, I've, been no, Howe. I've been a Louvain Howe stan um, this whole tournament and I'm loving it. He has had a big, like, biggest nation to face now until Argentina. And I think he wants retribution uh, for 2014 and revenge as well. So, if, if I mean, I think the Netherlands could do it. It's just... If Lino, if Messi turns up the way he did against, uh, was it the USA they played, wasn't it? Australia. Australia, which I know obviously the Netherlands are a much better side than Australia. Like, Messi was like a demon when it came to that ball against Australia. So, I mean, if he, yeah, if they can like manage to keep him quiet, then yeah, I think the Netherlands could do it. Definitely, definitely. Uh, France versus England. Who are we going for? Uh, I'm going to go with my heart and say that England England will do it. I think I think pound for pound, we've got a better team. It's going to be a good game, that one. And finally, can Morocco surprise an upset against Portugal and Cristiano Ronaldo? Um, no, I'm going to be boring and go with Portugal. Not just because of, not because of Cristiano Ronaldo, because I don't think he'll play. I just think Portugal have a really good side and a lot of people are sleeping on how good Portugal are. I definitely think so. I think a lot of people slept on Bruno Fernandes this tournament as well. Or the people that have woken up have been like, oh yeah, it's been amazing. He's been doing this, he's been doing that. And as Man United fans, fans were like, yeah, he does that all the time, but you don't notice him or you'll make fun of him for being fouled or complaining to the referee or missing a penalty, whatever it is. It's just the narrative's changed when the Man United badge is off, which is crazy to really see yeah. um, as well. But no, thanks for your predictions. Thank you for your um, topics of conversation regarding Spain and Luis Enrique as well. Um, one last thing before we wrap up as well. What's the one thing you can take away from Spain in this tournament? Besides them losing to Morocco on penalties, is there one positive thing you can take away from Spain um, in this tournament, Dan? Um, I don't know, because we kind of ripped them apart, haven't we? I'm uh, glad we did. I'm glad we did. We need to leave it on a, on a positive note. We need to leave it on yeah, a, on a yeah. nice note for Spanish um, people listening. I think I think the positive I would have was I was like you where I thought that Gavi and Pedri were kind of overrated, mm. um, but no, I think I think they've shown that they are the real deal. I think I don't know if they're they're not going to be as good as everyone is expecting them to be, but I think they could lead Spain. I think Spain also have like they got Paul Torres coming up, um, who I think is really good, and I think he's gonna he's a different type of player to what you see Spanish play with as well. So I think yeah. that's a good thing for the future. If they can just nail down an a up-and-coming striker, I think they can be a force to be reckoned with. That's a nice positive way to end it. But yeah, literally players to watch out for from Spain, Pedri, Gavri, uh, Jeremy Pino, Paul Torres, and hopefully we'll find another young up-and-coming striker that isn't Ferran Torres 
um, going forward as well for the Spanish team. But yeah, everyone, thank you very much for listening to this week's podcast. Big thank you to our special guests, uh, Dan, Carwin and Dan, once again, it's been great to speak to you um, and we'll see you in the next episode. Take care and goodbye.